This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, good morning and welcome to Tech Talk right here on High FM. And as usual, we have got some of the updates of the latest technology, some of the fanciest gadgets you can think of. And it's been a really busy week in tech. Of course, <laughs> the Huawei USA saga continues and it ripples through the industry more and more and more with the opening of MWC, which is Mobile World Congress Shanghai. Now, many of our, my regular listeners will know that I go to the Mobile World Congress in Barcelona every year because it is the absolutely the absolute epicenter of mobile technology and just technology in general. And um, what goes down in terms of the whole world of connectivity and 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 that sort of stuff. So, Mobile World China is. Very in Shanghai, which is a very interesting place to start with, but it certainly does showcase a massive, massive market, which is China and all the sort of Far East and Near East and Middle East company and, and Middle Eastern com- countries around the world. And it is another major showcase of technology. And what is interesting, and this some people don't quite understand, is that the major players in the space, Ericsson and Nokia, are very active in um, China. Nokia, in fact, uh, have just announced that with China Mobile, they're going to be launching 5G or rolling out 5G across, I think, 50 cities in the next year. So the big news, and that was sort of the talk of the of the week in terms of what's going on globally in terms of 5G and what's happening, happening. Right now, there are over 120 5G projects either in operation or starting in operation around the world, across every single continent, even South Africa. Interestingly, there's one 5G um, network that's going live with Nokia and with Huawei, uh, one in Joburg, one in Cape Town, with rain. So that should go live sometime in the next six to eight weeks. Uh, August being the sort of D-Day when 5G goes live, real commercial 5G that you'll be able to connect to with a, with a phone and certainly connect to with a little home uh, modem device, which <clears throat> is their primary objective with RAIN. So 5G has become seriously mainstream in 2019. By 2020, they anticipate they're going to be anywhere north of 150 um, networks globally offering 5G commercially and Europe, England, everywhere. And this is where that whole Huawei thing gets really, really, really interesting. Huawei have 2,500 patents, if I'm trying to remember the exact number, but a huge amount of patents related to 5G. And um, those patents are part of the, are intrinsically linked to the ecosystem. So they can't simply say, oh, we won't use Huawei's patents because then you're not going to land up using 5G. So there's a lot riding on this whole American-Chinese issue on the trade wars and what's going on. The the general consensus amongst some really well-connected and knowledgeable tech fundies and tech CEOs in this country, global from global con- countries, is that unfortunately this matter is not going to be settled soon. It's a it's a rather long-standing issue around security, around 5G connectivity, and its ability to spy 
more and more. In fact, an Israeli company just found out or just released a report saying that there has been enormous interference in mobile networks globally. They didn't come out and state it directly, but they said the type of interference and the signature of the types of of attacks on these various networks uh, sounded like a state player with very uh, Chinese-type links. So they weren't going coming out and saying that China, in fact, has been doing what America has been accusing China of doing, is using the mobile networks and hacking into them and spying on, on people using mobile networks. But it appears that more and more evidence is emerging that there may be, may well be a case for, um, to be made against China with regard to security. So this is quite an interesting space. The entire 4G, even 5G, the whole mobile ecosystem is very integrated. The supply chains, all the equipment manufacturers are highly integrated across China and the West. So a lot, lot coming out and a lot of discussion at Mobile World around it. And we'll be back after that exciting news straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And the last little... It's almost impossible to have a tech discussion these days without discussing the Huawei thing. I get number of calls, emails, WhatsApps from people who were very happy with their Huawei devices saying, what is going on? Well, the last little update on this, and I've, I know I've said it before, right now there's no need to panic. If you own a Huawei device, that device will continue working, and for the foreseeable future, next year or two, the life of that product will be able to use all Google services and will probably continue to work as promised. What is in doubt, and Huawei are going all out to assure South Africans that this spat between the U.S. and China has nothing to do with South Africa, which I think is completely and utterly irresponsible and very wrong. It does, and it will affect us, and it will affect every person who owns a Huawei phone in some way or another at some point. But right now, that device is going to continue working. The updates will continue. Huawei have got enough resources to keep um, things going and keep the device supported. So if it breaks, it'll get repaired. But there will always be, until they sort this nonsense out, there will always be a question mark about future devices. No question that after the 16th of August, no, if no deal is reached, no further devices may have Google on them. And existing devices may, may, may or may not stop receiving certain updates that need the cooperation of Google and Huawei to be done. So that doesn't mean that things will stop working immediately. There'll be no sort of big switch off. But over a period of time, certain apps, certain systems, certain updates may not happen or may happen. And that uncertainty is very uncomfortable. And as a consumer, very concerning, especially in a world where you have choice. There are a lot of other devices on the market. Obviously, some are not as good in certain respects, but at least there is a massive amount of choice. And why take something that may have a little cloud hanging over its head? Even if that does get sorted out, it's going to be a challenge for Huawei to rebuild the trust with their consumers. And unfortunately, they they pretending like nothing's happening. And I think that's wrong, and I think that could cause enormous problems down the road, not only for you and I, owners and users of Huawei technology, but also for the networks. I mean, if I buy a Huawei phone and it stops working for whatever reason or doesn't work as promised for whatever reason, 
I'm going to go back to Vodacom, MTN, and Celsius and say, guys, you sold this to me, and it's not working. I want my money back. And I think in terms of our uh, legislation and the the Protection of Consumer Act, you may well have a case to do so. So I think the networks have to be very careful on how they promote and push a product that has a cloud hanging over it. I'm not saying anything's going to happen now, but certainly no matter what Huawei assure the South Africans that the spat has nothing to do with them, there is an absolute effect that's going to hit hard over the next little while. So moving on from that, Bitcoin is Back in the news, everybody is starting to talk about Bitcoin. I heard just two minutes ago that Bitcoin was uh, nearly 13000 I actually heard it went over $13,000 yesterday. I'm pretty pleased. My few rand I've got in my Luna app has now recovered all the losses it lost last year. So the real question is, why is Bitcoin going up? And I think the key to this is that it is in limited supply. And honestly, right up front, I'm not a Bitcoin fan. I love the technology Bitcoin is built on. I love the ability to transfer money globally, seamlessly, frictionless, with no central control. The whole new age idea of blockchain and Bitcoin just works for me. I think it is absolutely brilliant. It creates a platform that's outside of the control of governments and central banks. And therein lies the rub. Bitcoin is simply a platform, a technical platform with limited, there's apparently 21 million Bitcoin will ever be in existence, of which 20% right now have never been traded for for at least five years, which means they're either locked into a wallet that people forgot about, or they simply are being held for whatever reason by people who don't even care. And that is the problem. There is no inherent value in Bitcoin whatsoever. Nothing underpins it. Nothing uh, supports it. If you have a problem with Bitcoin, there's nobody to talk to. You can't go and report your Bitcoin theft to the police because they'll look at you. And this is globally. It's not even here. They'll look at you and say, guys, uh, what are you talking about? You've got no proof you owned it. You've got no proof you had it. You tell me you've got a little number in a locker. Now what must you do with that? So Bitcoin is no, not an asset class. Everyone talks about Bitcoin like it's an asset class, you know, property and uh, shares and Bitcoin. Bitcoin is none of those things. There's nothing underpinning Bitcoin. It's effectively, if someone switches off the Bitcoin servers, Bitcoin ceases to exist. Goodbye. No more Bitcoin. No more money. Doesn't matter what you do. You're gone. Well, it's not the same. If someone switches off the server and it's based on property, you can always go visit the property, stand outside and wonder what happened to your money. That's a different story altogether. So right now, there seems to be a massive hype with with uh, Facebook bringing their, their, so, their cryptocurrency into being. So don't get caught up in the hype. Don't get involved in the whole tech bubble that is Bitcoin, in my opinion. A lot of guys will argue with me and tell me it's the future of banking and it's going to disrupt the world. But then again, it's hard to bet against the biggest banks, the biggest money organizations, the 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 owners of the economies, governments and that. It's very difficult to disrupt something that is so completely and utterly regulated. In fact, you may say overregulated. So I think as a technical thing, as a as a tech concept, yes. Bitcoin and its underpinnings, the whole blockchain system, the whole way that that technology works, the whole new ageness of frictionless, costless, transparent and secure transacting of, of funds around the world. 
I think that is just brilliant and it's going to disrupt. But Bitcoin, do not put your life savings into Bitcoin. Don't let anyone convince you to that it's so easy to make money. It was 2000 last week. It's now 13000 this week, maybe $20,000 next week. But then again, the only way to make money is to sell. And if everybody sells to make money, then Bitcoin will be back down to $2,000. Anyway, this is not investment advice. I'm not telling anyone to do anything. It's just that there's massive hype. Every Facebook page is being bombarded with Bitcoin. You'll see it on Twitter. You'll, you'll, you'll get interested in it at dinner conversations. It's just quite a big deal. So watch this space. I think it's brilliant. I think there's lots happening. But don't get caught up in the whole Bitcoin thing. Now, coming up in Tech Talk Cafe in just a few minutes, I have got the most interesting conversation I've had for a long time. We are talking to Dr. Ishmael Akulwaya, and he's a research scientist at IBM and IBM Labs in South Africa. I've spoken about it. They had their conference two weeks ago. I spoke about, you know, the stuff I saw and how interesting it was. And it's just even more interesting than that. The conversation is broad, it's wide-ranging, and it's quite long. So stay tuned. It's 30 minutes of just the most fascinating discussion around all sorts of technical things, but coming down to quantum computing, its uses, how it works, and the fact that it's available in South Africa right now. So stay tuned. We'll be back straight after um, our little nod to our sponsors. And uh, we are going to be talking about IBM and quantum computing. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome to Tech Talk Cafe right here on High FM. And I am talking to Dr. Ishmael Akulwaya, who is a research scientist at IBM Research Africa. And that's right, you heard correctly, IBM have a research lab right here in Bromfontein in South Africa. Well, welcome to the show, and lovely to be in this amazing facility and, and seeing what you guys are doing. So just give us a little bit of background of what IBM are doing and what they've done here in uh, Bromfontein. Thank you so much for having me on, on air. Um, my wife actually every now and then listens to the station and she said I must make a shout out. Great. <laughs> Do listen, everybody. So IBM Research um, opens up labs around the world. We're one of the few companies that have this vision of doing real research in the local context of, of other countries. And that's really special because it's about solving local problems using local talent but plugging into this global network of so you, research. So you're part of the entire IBM global research Organization, for want of a better word. Absolutely, and we plug into their uh, regular national, uh, international um, strategy sessions, and and uh, we we uh, we we really part of this international organization. So it's a wonderful it's wonderful for me as a South African to to have a glimpse of the cutting edge in technology. That's amazing because technology today is a global thing. It's no longer just local. Exactly. It doesn't sleep. We have time zone issues when we have to schedule. <laughs> Imagine. Uh, when they're awake, we're sleeping, and you've got to find five minutes in between. Exactly, exactly. And then, uh, so why why South Africa? Why Bramfontein? Well, um, of course, like I said, IBM wants to solve local problems. They recognize uh, Africa as a as a continent with so much potential and and uh, you know ready to, to uh, leapfrog, in some instances, the rest of the world. And... Um, they decided to partner with WITS in this precinct here called the WITS Chimalahong precinct, 
which is the um, brainchild of Professor Barry Dulotsky. And uh, they, they, they decided to couple themselves to Professor Dulotsky's vision of being a Silicon Valley in Johannesburg. He, his idea is to be an incubation hub for tech startups, and we are a logical partner in that. We assist these startups uh, with the latest technology, giving them access to our platforms, both our cloud platform, and now the big news, of course, is... Well, that's what we'll talk a lot about right. later, the whole quantum computing thing, which I attended your conference two weeks ago now. Wow, time flies. Anyway, but we'll talk a little bit about quantum down the road. So having this facility and working with WITS is giving a lot of smart young minds access to the latest and greatest globally. Absolutely. So we have an active uh, internship program where we uh, take, for example, master students from, from all over the country, but especially WITS, and uh, we, we, we give them a rigorous uh, program here. They get to experience what it's like to do, to do cutting-edge research, uh, we also have our own incubation program where we um, fund and support uh, startups in the tech space, um, and then and then we give we give talks. We we uh, we're, we're part of uh, the general skills development and and promoting uh, IP generation in in the country. That's that's truly amazing because quite honestly there is. Tons of young people, tons of talent in the country, and it just needs a framework to exploit some of those benefits. And it looks like IBM are doing quite a job there. But now let's discuss the two areas that are, are key. You mentioned earlier that there are two key areas that IBM are focusing on, and that's where a lot of your, your research and your um, training and efforts are going into. Could you give us some indication of that? So I'm sure your listenership have, uh, know about these two big buzzwords, and uh, we, as IBM, definitely uh, keep our finger on the pulse and is uh, pushing the boundaries. It's AI and quantum. Um, it's funny that we, we are doing both, actually, at this lab. Uh, and these two technologies are set to revolutionize the, the world and, uh, and, and how, how it runs, uh, even at the sociological level, you know, how we structure societies. We, we know there's a, there's a lot of uncertainty about the future with AI. Will it displace jobs and so on? Um, That's definitely a huge topic. Certainly in a, in, a, in a country like South Africa where employment is such a key enabler of, of progress and we've got so many people who need to progress. So I would imagine that's quite a, a hot topic. But let's, let's move on from that. But AI as a – I mean, I'm not a big fan of using the word AI. I think we are still a few years away from true AI. But the whole issue of smart machines – um, machines on the edge and all these like intelligent processes. That's definitely an area that IBM are pushing the boundaries on. Absolutely. Um, we, we are, we are in the forefront of, of research in, in AI. Um, I, I, I actually think you're right in, in, um, in questioning this buzzword AI. Uh, it's not what people think in terms of, uh, Conscious, uh, like science robots, fiction, science where they're all wandering we, around we telling probably, us what to do. Exactly. We're probably, uh, hundreds of years away from that. Um, what it is about is intelligent automation. Um, and, and the breakthrough in, in how neural networks can replace, um, what, what used to seem very difficult. I mean, like, uh, say, for example, object recognition, being able to recognize a face, um, was considered a very difficult task. But the surprising thing is that these neural networks 
because they're able to be trained on millions of images and and learn about patterns and features they are able to do they're robust in the in, in their ability to recognize but you must remember it's all at this very uh, superficial level it's still at this pattern are we matching at the, level are we there's at no the, cognition yet there's are no we at the early stages of the ai revolution if you want to put it that way very early stages and and the use cases that are ready to affect society are, are limited to to uh, to image recognition uh, voice um, self-driving cars, as you know, in, in the U.S., that's quite big as well. So um, even though it's not the science fiction stuff of robots, conscious robots talking to us, uh, the, the impact on society seems to, 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 to be far-reaching, even in the short term. Uh, so I think it's very fitting that, that, uh, that we as South Africans have experts researching this so that we, can, we know how to handle and, ex- and, and, and navigate this uncertain future. So uh, that, that applies also to quantum. I'm very glad that we as researchers here in South Africa are at the cutting edge so we know what it means. We also know how to dehype it, as, as, you've been, as you indicated to. I'm, I'm a big dehyper. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not one to, exactly. to get caught up in buzzwords and, and, and all sorts of things. But this is real research going on here. You've got guys working on elements and parts of this whole smart machine business right here in Bromfontein. Absolutely, and we plug in. And we also plug into the global projects. Uh, we 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 get access to uh, you know, the, the scientists that lead these these famous projects you may have heard of. Just to show you, just to go back yeah. to your question about how yeah. IBM is leading in the AI front. Um, you may, and this is a decade-long story. It's not just a fad now that IBM is getting into this. We uh, we we had we had scientists um, who solved the checkers problem, uh, solving the, the game checkers. And then the famous uh, chess program called Deep Blue that beat Gary Kasparov. Then came um, uh, Watson winning at Jeopardy. And, and very recently, um, out of Israel, incidentally, uh, the Project Debater, uh, for the first time being able to debate a topic that it's never seen before. So really fascinating uh, progress, le- leading the charge. And then we also re- uniquely positioned to to be a uh, enterprise-facing company. So we serve uh, you know big companies, banks, and uh, and so on. So so we we are sitting on a on a minefield of data that that uh, we u- uniquely positioned to take advantage of. So now let's talk a little bit about this massive new field, which is called quantum computing. What IBM have been working on that for quite a while, and the whole computing, quantum computing area is very nascent. It's just begun and we're talking about massive halls of equipment and it's only starting to get somewhat commercial now and IBM are leading that globally and now you guys have made it accessible to people in South Africa. Tell us a little bit about that. I think that is the huge story of the of the year. People don't quite understand what's going on here. Yeah, so the revolution is that there's a new way of doing computing. Um, uh, is this the right time to go into what absolutely, is? So, absolutely. so let's touch on uh, never the wrong time. What to talk about on what <laughs> these type of cool things? Absolutely. So I want to give the leadership, your, yeah. your, your listenership, some um, some just a sense of what quantum computing is. Um, you're all familiar with with classical computing, the normal um, computers that you used to, laptops, desktops, your phone, even. Uh, as you know, all of these devices operate on zeros and ones. So that alone has been a revolution for society. We, we've seen how so the whole world was sort of 
condensed down into a series of zeros, zeros and ones, yeah. and you can represent pretty much anything, including How is that? pictures, Picture, voice, voice, everything. Everything gets boiled down to zeros and ones, and that was the amazing computer science revolution of representing the world and processing the world in zeros and ones. And at the way we do, we manipulate those zeros and ones is at the bit level with, uh, with solid hardware like transistors. You may have heard of a transistor which can, can, can be in zero or one states. And, uh, what's so nice about, uh, let me mention that our understanding of quantum mechanics, the, f- the physics of the world has already played a role in that classical revolution. A transistor right now on your phone can only work with the understanding that quantum mechanics brings. So quantum mechanics has, has, has been working its wonder in technology for, since its invention. What, uh, what, what took maybe 80 years uh, to appreciate from the beginning was how, how quantum, how quantum mechanics, the physics of the world, can be used to do a new type of computing that that doesn't only operate on zeros or ones. And uh, the way to think about this is, as you may, uh, when you've heard of this wave-particle duality of quantum mechanics, that everything yes, is both a wave and a particle. And what that um, what that's hinting at is that particles have this probability nature to them. They have this uncertain element to to where they are and how fast they're moving, which is very surprising because before that, uh, in the Newtonian world, um, we, 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 we thought that the universe was clock, a clockwork machine with so everything was very discreet. Very discreet. It was one thing or another. Another, right. Not, not both at the same time. Exactly. <laughs> and so quantum mechanics, uh, com- came to completely overthrow our understanding of, of the world. I love that how, how, how physics, um, has this potential to upend philosophy sometimes. So, uh, anyway, uh, you know about part- wave particle duality. You may have heard it even in school level. And, uh, what that the most important lesson to draw from that is that particles can be in two places at once. Now that already is a very weird property. It sounds of, of like my mother. She feels like she's in two places <laughs> at once. But <laughs> to yeah. your point, so, so we've moved from a discrete environment of either or yes. to another environment of both at yes. the same time. Yes. And you've you, you've seen that in your everyday life in the form of uh, let's say ripples on a on a lake. If you go to Emerentia Dam and you throw in a a, a pebble, you'll see that uh, that discrete entity, the, ro- the piece of stone, the stone sets out this continuous ripple on, on the surface of the, of the water, and then that, that ripple, those, those waves, um, interact with maybe other waves or the shoreline in a very wave-like uh, behavior. Um, you could say that the wave, or you could say that the influence of the stone has spread over the whole dam and, and is now present all over the dam. It's no longer just, just, stone. just a stone. It's, it's, its influence is felt <laughs> everywhere. And you take that idea to the next level where, where the particles themselves are governed by those waves. Those, now they become probability waves, the probability of being in one place or another place. And for very long, so first of all, it's a, it was a big surprise that nature does work like this, and, and, and it created a huge philosophical conundrum. People still don't, still don't know what it means, actually. You've got the, you've got the, the famous Schrodinger's cat conundrum paradox. Have you heard of it? The yes, cat is absolutely. dead and alive at the same time. What does it mean? You've got um, multiverse interpretation of quantum mechanics. You've got a, a knowledge interpretation that, no, quantum mechanics is just describing our ignorance of the world. So no one knows what quantum mechanics means. But so we, again, just in the basic 
understanding of quantum mechanics, we're also at the the first stages of yes, that. Yes, exactly. And, and, and the expectations for the world. And, and yet, yet IBM it to use. are now trying to find a way to put that to use. Exactly. So the big surprise is that this uncertain probability wave can be put to good use. Okay. And the way, uh, to come back to the zeros and ones, the way we put it to good use is we use a particle that is here and here at the same time to represent zero and one at the same time. So that's the breakthrough. That's the big thing. Now, immediately you can get a sense of the power of this. Um, before, you, you're, you, you, on your calculator, for example, you can only type in one number at a time and then say you wanted to add it to another number. You, you're at the grocery, uh, line, in the grocery line and you want to work out how much you owe. So you take you know, this number plus this number equals the total. Um, you wouldn't, in one go, add up all the prices in, in the store and, and look at all possibilities. And then of, extract the ones you have in your hand. Right. Yes, you, 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 you couldn't do that right? on, a, on a classical no. uh, calculator. It can only take one number at a time. And the amazing, amazing thing is that they were able to, we were able to, to take this probability description of nature and use a system that is both zero and one at the same time to represent all possibilities at the same, at the same time. time. Do something useful with it, um, and, and the way you can understand that is the concept of interference. So, uh, have you seen, go back, going back to the wave. Okay, listeners, just you hang in there. This is a seriously o- big overview of quantum computing. So. I'm trying to keep it, uh, absolutely. And that's why I'm level. just trying to break this so people can yes. give this a little bit of thought, and then yeah. we can move straight yeah, back yeah. into the, yeah. into the explanation. So I haven't lost anyone no, yet. No, no, yeah. I'm good. So I hope all my listeners out there are, <laughs> are with me. There's a lot more on the IBM website, so you can check this out. Absolutely. Thank you. So, uh, so then we take, uh, go back to the ripples example on the, on the dam. And you know how when a, when a, when a wave meets another wave. So when a crest meets a crest, it becomes a larger crest. And when a crest meets a trough, it cancels out. That's called interference. And so if you're clever about how you explore the world of, of all the answers, you can make the right answer um, ampl- yeah. amplified and the wrong, wrong answer cancels out. So that's the key insight into... Okay, and the reason that, we have makes, to, that the, makes some sense. And yes. the reason we have to do that, the reason we have to do that is because nature, after you observe a system that's changes. funny, changes, exactly. And you lose that superposition. It's called superposition, the multiple states at the same time. So you've got to be really quick at how you exactly. extract information exactly. from a random chaos-type environment. Well, it, 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 when it's uh, quick is, is the right way to look at it, it's, but, but it's not random. It's, you have it under control. You have, you have this full superposition under control. Uh, you, you know that you're exploring all the answers. You just need to pick the right one. You have to exactly. You have to guide the system into the into the right one. And and your point about quick is because there's noise. There's always noise, and that actually is a good lead into to why it's, we haven't immediately got very large quantum computers. It's extremely hard to to eliminate noise from these systems. Um, you, you have to isolate them. You have to cool it cool down absolutely. to amazing temperatures. Let me actually tell you what it is. Minus 273 so it's colder degrees. colder than the universe. Colder than outer space. <laughs> it's in deep outer space, which is at three degrees uh, above absolute zero, the, the, the outer space. And we are going to 0.015 uh, of, uh, um, above absolute zero, degrees wow. Kelvin wow. above so absolute zero. So you're almost at absolute zero. Exactly, exactly. And wow. what is that for? To, to eliminate <laughs> the noise. Because uh, if you have noise, you lose this delicate state of being zero and one at the same time. Now, 
We're unfortunately running out of time. I right. told you time would fly. Yes, yes, yes. It's relative, yeah? So what is the benefit? You've now got these amazingly massive computing engines developed and built and, and residing in the U.S. for the moment. And we're using this wonderful thing called the Internet to connect to that from a site in South Africa. And what benefits will that bring to to research and, and, and the whole understanding of all sorts of areas in South Africa. How's that going to work for, for South Africans and, and, and try to help us all understand why it's so significant? Right. So that's a great lead into what our quantum computer is good for. So the funny thing is that they can't solve, you know, all our problems that we, that we don't have solutions for yet on a, on classical computers. There's a very, this is back to your de-hyping, you know, mm. they don't, they don't suddenly solve suddenly everything. change the whole field. Right. Well, but there are, there are fields that they are set to revolutionize. So let's just go through that quickly. There's three fields that, that broad categories that quantum computers have an advantage over classical computers. The first is the, probably the easiest to understand is chemistry. So when you, when you design a new molecule or a new drug f- to treat a, a condition, a medical condition, you have to arrange um, uh, atoms and, and electrons so that it has some chemical function, right? And in that process, you need to work out what's the stable configuration of those atoms. You need to work out the chemistry, basically, of your Which of your you drug can actually replicate. So that you can make copies of it, yes. for, yeah, exactly, in the lab, and, and know that it's going to do its, its, its uh, function. So it'll kill the bacteria or it will stop HIV in its tracks. You need to design your molecules to achieve some function, some chemical reaction. And in order to do that, you need to understand the, the chemistry. And the chemistry, of course, is underpinned by quantum mechanics. And the classical ways of approximating quantum mechanics is not good enough. You, right now, we use supercomputers to try and work out the, uh, the reaction rates or the, what's also called the interactions the, within the interaction the between, exactly, two molecules, mm. the energy levels. You, you may know from your school chemistry, there's... Taking uh, me back a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's, there's, you, you need to have an activation energy and then you complete a reaction. So the energy barrier that needs to be overcome, you need to calculate these, these uh, energy uh, levels. And amazingly, very surprisingly, the classical approximations of the quantum chemistry that is there in nature is very poor. And so we, we have a very... It takes a long, takes a very long, long time, time yeah. and lots of computing time. Exactly. And this was the original motivation for quantum computers. They said, if you want to do quantum chemistry, you yeah. better use quantum mechanics in a computing context to do it properly. Makes Richard Feynman sense. came up with this in the 80s. He said, let's, let's try and scratch our heads and, and use Instead quantum of mechanics. using standard binary computing, yes. let's yes. find a better way of understanding the, the universe. Exactly, exactly. Because the universe is quantum mechanical. Yes. That's what the physics of the universe is telling us. So, so that was the first motivation, and it's set to really revolutionize everything that has to do with uh, materials. All material science, all chemistry is, is really set for revolution. Because that's the whole world. Actually. At a fundamental level, these computers work the same way as nature yes. and materials work. Yes, exactly, exactly. That's, so you've hit on the exact power of, of quantum computing. And, and let's, let's just run through some uh, uh, well-touted use cases. Designing catalysts for carbon capture. Um, it's designing catalyst to assist with the Haber-Bosch process to make a uh, fertilizer. 
Um, at the moment, it requires very high temperatures and pressures and uses up 3% of the world's energy just to make fertilizer to, to, know, grow, to grow things, things for us to eat. To, for us to eat, exactly. Now, if you could save 3% of the world's energy goes to fertilizer, imagine if you could you cut that by a half with a better catalyst that does better fertilizer creation. You would revolutionize the whole agricultural world. And again, Solar we're running panels, out of time here. Batteries, anywhere this there's, is insane. Yeah, anywhere there's uh, you know, materials and, and, and chemical reactions. And that's the power of a computer that local researchers have, have access, access to, to in now. The cloud. Right. So uh, to make it relevant to Africa, let's also touch in on the, as I mentioned earlier, say you wanted to design a drug to combat HIV, the HIV uh, virus. It turns out that there are multiple strains of, of this virus and the the strain that hits Africans is different from the strain that hits the, the, the rest of the world. And sadly, the big pharmaceutical companies in the rest of the world, the Western... Uh, focusing on, focus their, on issues, their issues, not and ours. Not ours. And, so, and so we need, as, as Africans, we need to bring in the full force of these new computing resources to tackle our problems. Uh, specifically in this case, HIV C strain. And that's one of the, that's one one of of the, the research why it has to be done yeah, uh, in Africa by Africans. Otherwise we get sidelined. So, so that's one example. Another famous example is our genetic heritage. The, the, the African population has more genetic diversity than the rest of the world combined. And genetic diversity is a great, uh, um, Treasure chest, chest of, of information. If you, if you have a wide diversity, you can search that diversity to look for natural resistance to certain conditions, uh, for example, So the impact malaria. on healthcare is, is, is absolutely mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. We, 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 you we, could re-engineer everything we know about healthcare exactly. using quantum techniques. Uh, medication, uh, you know, the whole, you've heard about the... Um, tailor, personalized medication based on our genetic understanding. That, that, that idea is from genetics and so on, but it hasn't fully delivered on its promise because of this gap between we know what the genome is, but we don't know what the genome does. What and how it inter- interacts with other things. Exactly. And that's a chemical question, a chemistry question. And, and quantum computing. These new quantum yes. computers that could probably answer that. Make a huge In, a, in exactly. a fraction of the time. Of, of normal research. Absolutely. So now to go back to the three pillars, chemistry is, a, is set to be shaken up by quantum computers. The other two uh, fields are optimization. So, so when you want to search many possibilities, for example, say you have a, you want to design a portfolio. So like stock market. Stock market, exactly. Sorry, I'm pushing you because we have run out of yes. time, but this is so amazing. This is blind, so, mind blowing. So, so quantum portfolio optimization, uh, for, for maximizing profits, minimizing risks. And then the I third one of those in my in my backyard, hundred <laughs> percent. And then the third category uh, is machine learning. Um, sometimes machine learning has the property of searching many possibilities, and that's leads to AI. AI. So there's a lovely uh, fusion <laughs> of these two buzzwords, ironically, AI and quantum. Um, and and us, we as South Africans have access to the latest quantum computers. Now, let, again, to dehype the quantum computers, the best quantum computers in the world are those by IBM, twenty qubits in the cloud. Uh, 20 qubits is not a lot. Uh, you can still you can simulate that on a classical computer or on a laptop. It, things get interesting when you hit 50, just 50 qubits. A, a qubit is, the, is, is called is, is a quantum bit. It's the quantum equivalent of a bit of a of a, of a, of of a, a computing bit. Bit zero or one. Yeah. Now it's a quantum bit zero and one at the same time. And our classical bits are sitting in the millions and the and, and the billions. You know, our RAM is in the uh, gigabytes, right? Um, 
Here we, so that's, that's billions of, of bits. Here we're only talking about a handful of qubits. So we're very the far from... The power of the qubit is way in excess of the power of a standard bit. Absolutely. So you're, you're on to something very big. That's something to expand on. But, but it'll only uh, reach this comparable level when we hit about uh, 60 to 100 qubits. So we're at 20 at the moment. So let's, let's de-hype. There's still a, a, frame, a time frame ahead of us. We need to increase the qubit count, but the problem is noise. As I mentioned earlier, it's very hard to isolate. The more qubits you add, the more noisy, the noisy it becomes. It so we have to, and IBM is leading the front on, on keeping the noise levels down. Um, uh, but the point is, it's still the right time to have access to what we have, the 20 qubits now, because we need to learn how to program these these these, these quantum you computers. You need to know how to use what you've got. Exactly. And so when, it, when the time comes for 100 to be available, uh, we'll already know how to program it. So that's what this partnership with Bits is all about. It's about getting our uh, our skill levels up. Quantum programming a quantum computer is very different to programming a classical computer. I would imagine. And, and there's a whole host of... of no uh, punch cards involved. No punch cards involved. <laughs> um, but funny enough, it is still at the, at the, at the qubit level. It's similar to where we were Back 40 in the years day ago with the punch cards. With the punch cards. It, it, we haven't yet let, reached this level of um, higher level languages. As we have with the classical computers, we have abstract languages, Which uh, Python, program Java. Themselves. Exactly. When you just describe these high yeah. level, now we're still at the uh, assembler language. If you know about assembler, the machine language, machine level. machine level language. Exactly. And and uh, we need to get, but it's still very useful, of course. And we need to educate uh, our users, both in terms of the skills of programming and for a nose for the use cases, the application. Where is quantum computing uh, potentially useful? It's all those cases where you have to explore many possibilities and then come out with one answer. So it's not useful for checking your email, for example. You're not checking a million. You're not going to check your email faster. You're not going to check email faster. Exactly. <laughs> so so we need we need our users and and, and our students and our professors. Uh, exploring, uh, first of all, learning how to program the quantum computer, and secondly, uh, finding use cases. And we can lead in, in, in this field because the whole world is not sure where we can use quantum computing. And uh, you know, uh, multi- even the portfolio optimization was just invented a year ago by Zurich IBM Zurich scientists. They didn't know that we could use it for portfolio optimization. So, so we knew we knew the underlying quantum algorithm of of optimizing, but no one thought, oh, we can apply it to, to portfolio this. optimization. Yes, Brilliant. and so there's a whole. So the, the field is ready and ripe to to be. And to conclude, because we're really yes. ten minutes over, and I'm going to run this all because it's fascinating. We're now plugged into the global quantum computing research projects, and we are definitely. Definitely um, at the cutting edge, and we know no in no way behind the rest of the world with this facility in South Africa. Absolutely, that, that that's the vision of our lab director, Dr. Solomon Solomon Sefa, and uh, the the uh, DVC from Vits, Professor Zebron Velakazi. That's exactly their sentiment. We don't want to be behind. Not only that, we want to be pushing the field, and so we've signed up for access to the latest quantum computer. And we not only just you know getting this token access. We are training, training our, our locals. And we have a massive camp coming up uh, in December, God willing. It's, uh, it's called the Kiskit Camp. 
and we are hoping to go big. 200 scientists from across Africa. Vitz was so kind, um, they, they signed up, paid for this uh, access, and allowed 15 other universities across Africa to have access through them. Oh, wow. So it's called the Arua Network, and we hope to invite scientists from all these universities to come for this Kiskit. Kiskit is the name of the programming language that we, the programming framework for, for programming the quantum computer, and we're having this massive um, workshop on how to program, inviting, so to your listenership who have uh, even the biggest interest, interest uh, who have students at uh, at Vits or uh, around the country or part of the Rua network, uh, look out for this Kiskit camp. There's also a hackathon at the end of the camp uh, where we take the best of those attendees of the workshop and then actually start programming the quantum computer and uh, collaborating and looking for use cases. That was the, the, the key point. So very exciting times. Um, if your kids are looking for careers to head into, these are the two big fields, AI and quantum. Uh, and then and then this lab, this IBM Research Lab, uh, is at the forefront of both. Um, we we want to really get interest and get the skill level up. We want to uh, get our commercial entities using AI and, and, and quantum. Uh, we need to hit the ground running, not be left behind. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I think this is one talk that will go down as one of the most interesting I've ever had. So we'll be back straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. <clears throat> and as I said, that was definitely one of the most interesting conversations that I've had around technology, the future of technology. It's just absolutely insane. And as you, you could see, Dr. Acquire, when he got going on this topic, was almost impossible to stop. The implications, the ramifications, and the possibilities of quantum computing and the power that it can bring to a, a number of remarkable fields, investing, money trading, but even, but I mean, most importantly, healthcare, understanding stuff that we just cannot get a handle on now, understanding the universe, the, the nature of the universe that could fundamentally change. And it's available to our universities, to our young people, to our researchers and our companies right now in Johannesburg, in Bromfontein. And I think that is just mind-boggling. This is, without question, the cutting edge of science. Whether you understand quantum mechanics or not, or quantum physics or not, which I don't, it's just an unbelievable opportunity. It's an unbelievably positive thing that has happened over the last little while. And we all need positive things, and I think that's just brilliant. So if you want to know more about that, go to the IBM website. There's a whole chapter. In fact, you can even play on their quantum, their one qubit or two qubit uh, commercial platform that's available. You can do queries on it. You can sign up to play on it. The one that they're using for the universities is a 20 qubit, and they're busy working on 50 and 100 qubit devices right now. So the field is really wide open. Any ideas, you young guys out there listening, go see Contact IBM, see how you can get involved. They're really good at hiring interns and, and, and creating all sorts of havoc and stuff around this. So I will stay tuned and stay in contact with these guys. I think they're doing absolutely amazing things. Now to bring – our time is nearly up, but I just wanted to bring the most popular – I always talk about apps, and I'm going to bring everything right down to earth, right down to your cell phone – who doesn't have WhatsApp? I cannot believe that today's day and age, certainly in South Africa, anyone who's got a smartphone does not have WhatsApp. There may be a few of you out there hanging out, 
BBM switched off last week or the week before, so that's gone. So WhatsApp is the most used messaging app. Some people may or may not know it's owned by Facebook, and there are always new things coming that they try to integrate the two. But whatever the case may be, WhatsApp is probably the most important communication app that you use on your phone. And I just want to update you uh, on a couple of tips that are really, really, really important. The first and most important one, you have to update your apps regularly. WhatsApp had a massive exploit and vulnerability, which would allow all sorts of exploit exploits on your device and spyware and all sorts of nonsense. They fixed it. You have to update. I know a lot of people don't update, but you should update your WhatsApp and all your apps for that matter and your phone's operating system. Just a relative of mine showed me a fancy new uh, Galaxy S9, had not updated the latest operating system from Samsung. She's delighted now that it's fully updated. So go get into a Wi-Fi area. Don't do it over 3G or 4G and update your phones. It's really, really important. It won't break anything. They do enormous millions of tests before they release it so that it doesn't break anything. So don't be scared. Update. The second and most important thing is that if you lose your phone, the worst thing is to lose all your WhatsApps. You don't know who you sent this to or spoke to, that one about. There are two things you can do. You can export your WhatsApps. You can actually save them and mail them to yourself and keep a sort of hard copy of every conversation you've ever had. But even more useful, because if you lose your phone and you want to sign up with a new phone, you uh, need to do a backup. And that can, and that works beautifully on iCloud and on Google Drive. And all you have to do is go to WhatsApp settings menu and turn it on. Cloud backups are an absolute win. You must back up your, um, your, your WhatsApp. The last thing I want to talk to you about before I get kicked out of studio is that sometimes you send photos you don't want to share. You don't want to have them popping up in your gallery. You can actually switch the photos off. So you've sent someone a WhatsApp photo. It does, or they send you one back. You, you just go to your more options and you simply switch off off media visibility in the chats section of the settings menu. And on that moment, I'm going to stop chatting. I'm going to leave you till next week. Um, and uh, this is Stephen Ambrose for Tech Talk right here on High FM.